Welcome to Trail Manners, the podcast so dedicated to mountain trails and running that they broadcast out of a 78 Volkswagen bus in the mountains. Who does that? Eric and Joel are your hosts and will bring you the trail life as you may have not heard it before. You hear about everything from gear reviews, nutrition to keep you upright and moving forward, and they'll even bring guests into the bus for conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. It's time for some running adventures on a higher elevation. The old 78 Volkswagen bus is fired up and headed to the mountains. Here are your hosts for Trail Manners, proudly representing the 801 with their passion and love for the trails, Eric Manning and Joel Hatch. Welcome to the Trail Manners Podcast, episode number 130 to kick off 2019. Today, we are going to be talking via telephone with Scott Heine. So if this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners Podcast is produced every week for enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. All right, here we go. We've got for episode 130 to start our new year on 1119. Our very first episode we ever did was episode one, and this is with Scott Jaime. So we've got Scott Jaime via telephone, which is not something we normally do, but uh, we'll go from here. So Scott, thanks for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me, Eric Manning. Um, I I can't believe that I was your first host. Uh, it seems like yesterday that we uh, we sat at the start of the Wasatch course there in Kaysville, um, and we did it out of your green bus. Um, seems like it was yesterday. Yeah, and it was actually on November four, or excuse me, November twenty fourth, twenty fifteen. Wow. So to give you perspective, today we're recording, it's 12-24-2018, so it's three years and one month later. So it's Christmas Eve as we're recording. It is Christmas Eve, yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me back, Eric. Um, I guess it's been a, it's been a long time coming, um, but I'm happy to, to be here and talk about all things ultra, whatever that may be. Um, well, but before we get into that, uh-oh. Um, <laughs> so, so when I, when I was your guest the first time around, um, I was in town actually to the live draft for fantasy football, right? Uh, yeah, that was correct for that year. Yeah. And, and we were doing our, our draft party, um, something we've been doing, gosh, probably 15, 16 years now, something which like is kind of cool. Yeah, I think that that's really cool. Um, and then now we are on the tail end of our 2018 season, which you are in the final. Um, <laughs> looks like you have one more player tonight to pull the victory through. How many points do you need? Oh, you know, just Philip Lindsay for the Broncos just needs to give me like 33 points. So, you know, not a big deal. <laughs> hey, anything can happen. Um, I, I know last week uh, you beat me to get into the final by one point um, or, or maybe a point and a half or something like that. All I needed was Ingram to score one touchdown or have one pass given to him, and that would have been the difference. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's how close it was. And, and what, what makes it even more amazing is the week before – you won on the final play of a game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, 
Yeah, well, and this week for the final, me and uh, Matt Keddington, who's in the championship, both of us would have lost this week to you and whoever you're playing in the third, fourth place game with points. So it just, you know, I, I got know. Todd Gurley's hurt. You know, he didn't play this week. He he hurt me. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about fantasy football is that you you got to be careful because your your iron horses who carry you throughout the year, if they're in the playoffs, they're going to rest their studs, right? Yep, and that's what happened yesterday. Um, and and you know, for that reason, I very rarely make it to the championship game because I kick butt all year long, <laughs> and then uh, and then then the coaches decide to rest their. Trojan horses, and and I end up losing. So this is probably like the fourth or fifth year that I've taken third place. So <laughs> anyway, a lot of fun, um, good times with uh, good buddies for sure. Yeah, good old absolutely. Soccer college buddies. That's right. That's right. Um. So yeah. So man, you uh, it's been you took kind of a little hiatus from racing. So you'd raced, you finished your tenth Hard Rock in July of 2017. And then you almost took a year and a half, um, we'll say, because you your next race was JFK 50 this past November, right? That's correct. So first, number one, why the long layoff from racing? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> and you know, I, I got into ultra running. I'm looking at a poster here in my office of uh, the very first. Wasatch that I did back in 2004, and so going from 2004 all the way to 2016, um, that's a long time running ultras, um, and I and I think everybody will agree to that. That's a if you want to try to do well, that's a lot of training. Um, it's a it's a big commitment, and to be quite honest, Eric, I I was just mentally fatigued, and my body was starting to break down. And I didn't want to give it up. You know how you get in shape and you, it takes you, you know, months and months to get into shape. And then you don't want to lose that. So you keep going. Um, and I, I did that for basically 14 or 15 years. And then I, I when I reached that 10th hard rock, um, I, I think the wheels just fell off and I just wanted to take a break mentally and physically. And I did and it was it was it was a weird year because I thought I would be refreshed. I I thought I wouldn't miss it. Um, I would move on to something else. I had been threatening to do triathlons, but all of this other kind of stuff, and that never materialized. What happened is um, I started getting these phantom pains from just being sedentary and drinking a lot of beer, which I like to do. Um, <laughs> but I I feel like I needed to balance it out with you know, running and, and so I could drink more beer, but I, I missed it. Um, I, I took the break because I needed it and I didn't know I needed it. But then after a year and a half, I volunteered at Hard Rock last year um, at Kroger's aid station. And that was an honor in of itself. But as I was a spectator, um, giving back to the race that's given me so much, I I wanted to get back into it. And And what I realized, Eric, is that I miss competing. It's not the reason why I got into ultra racing, um, but I but I realized that it kind of infused in my blood is that I, I love to compete. Um, I guess that's just being human. Well, I mean, you say that compete. I mean, you did, like you said, you took that time off, but you came back, you know, last month for the JFK 50 um, at 49 years old and finished 12th <laughs> overall. 
right? <laughs> I mean, you were 12th overall in 649. And, and give us an idea of JFK, just the sheer size of the start for that race. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I was lucky enough to have Ian Torrance, uh, number one, coach me, but also number two, walk me through the paces of the course. So you go up to this little town um, in Maryland, um, and it's it's really a really small town, Hagers, Hagersburg, something like that, uh, Hagerstown, Hagerstown. Um, and there's literally 1,200 people at the start of the race. In fact, they, they have people park away at a, at a local school and walk about half a mile to the start line because they can't fit everybody on there. But 1,200 people. Um, you go through the mountains on the Appalachian Trail for about 15 miles, and then you hit a canal for the next 27 miles. Um, and then the final, you know, eight miles is on roads back to the place, um, uh, Hagerstown, I guess, uh, the main starting area. Um, but having said that, it's, it's, it's a historic, it's the oldest 50-mile race in the United States. I've always wanted to do it, but it comes at a time in the year when I'm always too tired, so I just usually shut it down. So Ian was coaching me, and uh, he said, you know what, you should do this race, and uh, it was perfect timing. So um, that's kind of the lay of the of the race. And I was, <laughs> I, in, in my mind, um, I, I wanted to do better than that. I know my my um, PR for 50 miles is 6:24 out there at the Buffalo Run, so I thought I was, you know, I'm thinking of my my ghost of when I was 30 something, <laughs> thinking that I could get somewhere around 6:20, and uh, it was bad weather. I mean, there was snow and ice and sleet. Um, it didn't snow on the on race day, but um, just messed up the trail slowed everybody down for the most part except for uh jared hazen who won the race that this year anyway um i when i crossed the finish line <laughs> so they they announced my name scott jamie from highlands ranch colorado he's 49 folks 49 years old <laughs> and and i just started laughing because i'm like man i don't feel 49 but that sounds really old uh, <laughs> So I guess I guess that's just kind of kind of how it is, right? You know, you get older, but you never really feel that. So, well, anyway, uh, and we, we a long-winded story, but that's the story. Well, and we talked about it a little bit. I was happy right before uh, Thanksgiving we got to meet up and, and share a beer with you and your family. But what was that like for you? Um, like you said, you've been running since two thousand four. You've seen this this growth in the sport. Well, after the race or before the race, you're sitting with Ian Torrance, who again is just a, in my opinion, he's he's just a legend obviously, but then you have some of the younger guns coming up. What was that like kind of sitting around the table and, and hanging out with these, I don't know, almost different generations of, of runners? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, there was, there was a group of runners that from Flagstaff, um, Jared Hazen was there who won the race. Um, Emily Harrison, who is, um, um, Ian's wife, who is, uh, the previous winner to JFK. Um, it was, and Eric Fensman, um, who is last year's winner of, of JFK. So, you know, we we sat there for a few hours just talking about running and and training and ultras and history and legends and running. And obviously, Ian's name keeps coming up because he is a legend in his in his own in his own right. But um, it's it's fun to hear the younger guys talk about how they train. Um, how they arrived to even think about doing a 50-mile race or a 100-mile race. 
Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, we all face the same challenges. We all face the same motivational issues to get out the door and, and want to train. Um, these guys just have the wheels and they've got the mental capacity to, to push through, um, those barriers. But it's what, what the most interesting thing about it is, is that they don't think very differently than, than I do now or when I got back into ultra running. They want to know what's possible. And, and they have the engine and all the tools to do it, and it's really fun to see um, that, you know, these younger guys are getting into it. I got into it later in, in my career. You know, I was in my mid-30s, but these guys are in their mid-20s, and, and it's kind of cool to see because it's, it's making ultra running fast. The part that I don't like about it is the, um, the commercialization of ultra running because that's not why anybody really does it, although there are a few people who make a living out of it. Um, I don't think anybody really does it for that reason alone because nobody makes a lot of money from it. So it was it was fun. It was kind of like the old and the new, um, old and the new guards coming together. For that particular crowd, um, that group up in Flagstaff, I think that there's a there's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of respect um, to what has been laid before them. And it's interesting because some of the guys have, they read books. Um, they know the old guys and the guys who laid the tracks before them. So it's kind of cool to, to talk to them. Well, and, and I mean, you mentioned it just a little bit ago and kind of through here, you know, you, you're competitive and you want to compete, but that's not why you got into it. Why did you get into the ultra running? Because, I mean, again, 2004 wasn't as popular, wasn't as big, um, a lot easier to get in some of these big races. What, what? What got you into ultra running? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So you and I were playing soccer at Weber State, um, and I was well. We both were friends with uh, Brandon Sabrowski um, and you know Samson, um, whatever you want to call him. But he had done uh, Wasatch back in the nineties, and you know we were soccer players, and we're like, holy cow, this guy just ran a hundred miles through the mountain. For me personally. That sparked, um, it, it, lit, it lit a fire um, in my belly to ask the question, I wonder if I can do that. So I always wanted to define my genetic potential. I wanted to know, number one, if I could do it. Could I even complete a 100-mile race? That's, that, I, and, I, and I can almost guarantee you that anybody challenged with training for and entering into their first 100-mile race they would probably be thinking the same thing. I wonder if I can do that. Um, but I, I had run marathons since I was, you know, 11 years old, and, and I always had that mindset of, I wonder if I can do it. And once I did it, I wondered if I could do it faster. Um, and, and that still exists today. I want to define my own genetic potential. I have never been the most talented athlete whether it be soccer, whether it be running, anything else. But I've always defined myself as a, as a disciplined, hard worker to get what I wanted. Um, I, always, I always think that I, I worked a lot harder than most of the folks around me to get what I wanted just because the talent lacked. So, you know, putting my toe on the line, I could look around and I, I would always uh, count myself out and say, 
nope, I'm not going to beat that guy. I'm not going to beat that guy. I'm not as talented. But the one thing that I that came out is that I felt like I had a lot more grit. Um, and gritting my teeth towards the end um, and, and pulling things out um, when others may have mentally failed. So, I mean, that's a long-winded question or answer to your question. You asked me why I got into it, and, and ultimately what it comes down to is I wanted to know what's possible, and I still do. Even at 49, it's, it's changed. I mean, the maturity in my mind and my body has changed. I just want to know what am I capable of. I don't want to be laying on my death bed and say should have, could have, or would have. And I never want to look back and say, well, I should have done that, or I could have done that, or I would have done that. I always want to say, well, I tried that, or I did that, um, or I some, something along those lines, and I want to feel satisfied. That's it. Well, well let me ask you this then, because I think that's, I mean, that's, the way a lot of people out there, myself included, would like to live. So from your experience, from your personal thoughts, if people are struggling with that, right? Like, hey, I want to try that race. I want it. Whatever. It doesn't have to be running. Um, woulda, coulda, shoulda. What what uh, advice would you give them that if they are just haven't quite taken that leap or decided to make that commitment? Well, that's you just said it. you got to commit to it. you got to make it a priority. Um, when, when I, when I hear people, they say, wow, you, you ran a hundred miles. I don't even like to drive in my car a hundred miles, or <laughs> I wish I could do that. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you heard that? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, tell anybody this, then commit to it. Just do it. You've got to make it a priority. Put, it doesn't mean that you put everything else aside, but you've got to learn how to balance things throughout the day. One thing that has helped me in, in whether it be, you know, coming back to racing and racing JFK and trying to do the best I can, um, I, I always had to know the day before, the week before, every day of when I was going to run and where I was going to run, whether I'm on the road or I'm home. I knew the exact time that I was going to race or run and train. What that means is I, I made it a priority. It doesn't mean that I disregarded everything else in my life, but everybody else around me knew that it was a priority. I think most people, Eric, are afraid to commit to something and, and fail at it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're exposing yourself to vulnerability. And, and when you do that, I think people, they, they get afraid of failure, but the only way to succeed is to fail. I can't tell you how many times I've failed in whatever I was doing, uh, many times in ultra running, but I've also found a lot of success through it. So the one piece of I would, advice I would give is to make it a priority and, and don't make any excuses. Well, and, and you talk about it a little bit there. I mean, you say you failed and, you know, I think a lot of it too is it's if people, myself included, I mean, boy, I, I'm, I'm the last one to be given any advice, but, you know, a fail is just, maybe it's just a learning experience, you know, maybe instead of thinking of it as I failed this, I learned from it, you know, what to do, what not to do, how to do it differently, how to, you know, commit to it more. I mean, I think you have to have that in order to be more successful. And I think the fear of failure increased or has been increasing since social media, because it's, you're out there a lot more, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's a good point. The social social media um, kind of scares me. It scares me, too, because when I don't do something that I thought I could in my mind, 
Well, I didn't have the best race, or I bonked, and you know, I, I was two hours slower coming in. Um, when I when when I was part of the Pearl Izumi Ultra Running Team, and you were part of this too, you know, there was a social media attachment to it. And when I failed or I didn't accomplish something that I thought I could, I withdrew from all social media because I was disappointed in myself, and I knew other people would be disappointed. But what I I learned through that is people don't really judge you for that. They they forgive you more than you forgive yourself, believe it or not. Um, so the social media thing, I've, I've learned to, to let go, and, and it is what it is, and not to make excuses. You know, if, if you don't have your best race, you're not going to have your best race every time. But that's what keeps us coming back. Well, because so, it, it keeps um, you coming back for that race, right? I mean, for... You've had them. I think everybody out there has had that one race they can always remember that where things just clicked, right? And so it's almost sometimes yeah. you're, you're chasing that again, right? Yeah, yeah. You're always you're always trying to get back to that nirvana because you. I mean, human beings always want to be better. They want they want can can they push it a little bit more? Um, and and that's what attracts all of us back. You you get that nirvana one time. And and it becomes addictive. I mean, you can ask my family. It 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 becomes addis, uh, addictive, and, and we have learned to come to balance over all of these years. But believe me, there have been some rough days um, when you know I just wasn't a very nice person because I didn't get what I wanted. Well, I mean, I mean, you touched on it again. Uh, you know, just now and then a few minutes ago is that balance, right? The life balance of you know running and work and careers and families and you know, holidays or, or weather or, or whatever else is going on. What have you found for you? Is it just kind of, I don't say prioritizing, but making the run fit and then your day fit around your run. I mean, how do you balance what you've done over the past, you know, 14, 15 years? Yeah, it's a number one, it's an understanding. And number two, it's communicating. Um, I wasn't a very good communicator early on. So just go back 15 years and, you know, I would say I want to run this hundred mile race. Um, you know, my family didn't know what that entailed. I didn't know what that entailed until I got into it. And so, because I didn't know, I didn't communicate. So what I've learned is communicating um, to to your family, those who are closest to you, exactly what it entails. Hey, I'm going to run 100 miles. That means for the next six months, I'm going to train. So I just wanted to let you know that this is what it looks like. And And you can even chunk it up week to week. And over these 15 years, uh, my wife, Nicole, um, we've come to an understanding where, you know, before the weekend even starts, she'll say, so when are you running this weekend? How far do you have to go? And so she knows exactly, well, he has to run six hours. Well, then you better get up early and go because we've got this, this, and this to do. So it doesn't mean that you relinquish all of your responsibilities to your family it just means that there's more of a understanding number one and number two, uh, a communication avenue always. I think that's, that's huge. Cause we get a lot of the questions that people ask, you know, Hey, how do I fit in running with this? And how do your, you know, significant other, how do you talk to them about it? But and I, I guess like you just mentioned, it is just that communication and that understanding. And I mean, you're still, it's a team, right? I mean, it's not just you running that hundred miles, you're six months of training and everything else. Your family is, dealing with it as well just on a different level yeah and and you know that's a that's a good point just because i'm running the race doesn't mean i'm the only one part of the race because i could never ever do 
any of these races without the support of my family or friends. I mean, you've been there many, many times for me um, on the Colorado Trail, on um, uh, at Hard Rock uh, as part of my crew or a pacer. Um, Nicole's done the same thing. My father-in-law, my parents. It's never just you and these ultras. It it really is a, a team effort. And and to be quite honest, um, they get to celebrate um, all of your training at the race too because then they start to connect with people that they haven't seen probably over a year. Um, you know, that's, that's their little family as well. And so they get to celebrate too. And you know what, this is the one thing that I missed early on in my career is that your, your family is really, really proud of you. You've gone out and done all the hard work and, you know, you're out there suffering sometimes and you feel sorry for yourself, but I mean, your, your family, they're, they're the ones at aid stations talking about you and so proud and pushing you because they're part of it too. You know, they're glowing just as much as anybody else. So um, I, I think for, the, for your listeners out there, I think that anybody who's training for any sort of ultra, I don't care if it's 27 miles or 200 miles, just know that your family is part of this journey too. And so communicating, keep them involved in everything you're doing every step of the way, not just the race. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's uh it's, it's so true. And it takes me back. I mean, I remember cause you talk about it, my, well, you, I mean, rewind a little bit. You're the reason that I'm doing this podcast because without you, then I wouldn't have got into trail running, which to this day, I'm like, well, was that a good decision? No, it was. But uh, I got into trail running because of you. Um, and obviously, my career's not the same as yours. But uh, my first real ultra was in Colorado. Um, it was a 50K. The Greenland 50K. That's the one. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I I hated pretty much every step of that 50K, um, minus the last 30, 40 yards. Um, you came back after you raced and went and coached a soccer game and came back and, uh, and ran across the finish line with me. And I remember we've got, we've got a history together. And to this day, I just remember you saying, I'm more proud of you for this than anything you've ever done. And I was, I mean, let's be honest. I was pretty close to the very last one. They were, they were taking the finish line down when I crossed, (laughs) (laughs) but it, but it made it how it was. Right. I mean, you were a part of that, right? You were a part of that for me. Um, I know I was out there by myself at the time, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a community thing. Every time you cross a finish line, there's just a lot of people that got you there or helped get you there. I should say. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if you finish first or if you finish last. I never, I never look at it that way. Um, I, I don't think anybody else looks at it that way because you've taken every step and you've taken the same path and trail that everybody else has. So um, I, I think that that's important to say as well because it doesn't matter if it takes you three hours to do a 50K or it takes you eight hours to do a 50K. It's still the most meaningful thing. Um, and, and, and you know what, Eric, it, it, I, I think you'll agree with this as well. Um, it, what has happened to me in ultra running and this racing and this community has helped me in all aspects of my life. It has helped me be more successful um, in my career and with my family than I ever thought possible because it's helped me define the hard work that I put in there translates over into my work as well. well I absolutely hundred percent agree. Um, you know, I talked about it all the time. Me and Joel talk a lot about it or, or other people um, that have come through and I, I, I wouldn't, 
know where I would be today. My life would look like without trail running. Um, and I mean that in a, in a good way because it's had such an impact on my life, my, my family's life, my friend's life, um, the community itself. It's just such a neat community of people that, you know, I would hate to see what my life would look like without those people in my life, I guess. Yeah. And so taking a, going, taking, um, a year and a half off and then coming back, you can see why I wanted to come back. Um, it just, it never gets out of your system. It, it never does. So, so you talked about that a little bit and we kind of talked a little bit about the show. What, uh, in your eyes, I mean, you've been part of it for a long time before the big booms. I know it's grown, you know, even when you were involved, it was still something, you know, it wasn't like brand new, but what is the changes that you've seen? Um, and maybe let's start with, um, I don't know, some of the, some of the pros, I guess, you know, some of the the pluses on how the sport has changed since you first got into it? Well, there's a lot more races. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, when I got, when I got in it in 2004, um, there weren't a lot of races to choose from and there wasn't a lot of communication or avenues to understand where these races were. So, I mean, you'd have to travel a long way to get to them. Nowadays, I mean, you could literally, there's a, there's an ultra happening in every community, in every state, every single weekend of the year. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's a good thing because what I think has happened is, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, uh, marathoning became really, really popular people. You know, that was the next big thing to run a marathon. And then, you know, in the, the nineties, two thousands, 2010s, people ran marathons, they got tired of running marathons. And so they're like, well, how am I going to one up that? Well, then I got to run an ultra marathon. And I, and I think what we're seeing is the popularity go from the marathon to the ultra marathon. Um, and people are coming in droves that is supported by a larger community, more races. Right. But with that, I think also comes, um, a, a lot of, misguided people. I, I, I don't know how to phrase this because um, I think people sometimes get into it for the wrong reasons. Um, and, and that's not right for me to say because maybe their reason is different than mine, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. But I, But having said that, that just means when a lot of people come into it, other people see opportunities to make money off of people doing it. Yeah. So when you have all these races, more people do them. And then um, what, what I'm seeing lately is that the cost to get into any of these races costs a lot more. And I'm not blaming that on any, any one race director. It's just how it is because um, <laughs> you go to any, like I live, I live in Highlands Ranch. If I wanted to go do a race over here in the back country, the, uh, South Suburban Rec Center would charge me a lot more money because they would ask me, well, how many people are going to run this race? So having said that, I, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but money is causing problems in ultras. Um, and it goes from paying athletes to run races um, RDs to attract those top athletes by paying money. Um, and you know, all of these sponsors paying big money to get their athletes big athletes into their wear, 
Um, I, I think money sometimes causes a lot of problems in ultra, and I, and I don't like that because that's I, I I got into ultra running because it was obscure, because nobody was doing it, and it was different. And now it's becoming mainstream, and that bothers me a little bit. So that's that's the biggest thing that I've seen as a as a difference. On the flip side of that, it's a double-edged sword because what that does is it creates a lot of opportunities for people. Um, think about anybody who wanted to start a sports apparel, you know, um, whether you wanted to invent new shoes or if you wanted to invent new sports apparel or running shorts or shirts. You know, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to start hanging out at ultras and figure out what it is that th- that this community wants. That's an opportunity for somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's another great thing. and and so all I'm really saying is that um, the popularity of the sport has kind of diluted um, the meaning of it um, to a certain extent. I, I don't. I, for me, it's just different now. I, I do it, and I don't pay attention to a lot of the social media stuff or who's winning what or you know what are the odds of somebody winning, and I don't I don't buy into any of that and and. So for me, that's what's really changed. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Well, what is there any changes that you you personally would like to see that you think would benefit the sport? Wow, <laughs> that's, we hit uh, hard hitting questions here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's already happening. I mean, you see, you see these two hundred mile races popping up, and that's that's really making it different. I mean, pretty soon you're going to be seeing 250 mile races and 300 mile races. And, you know, we're already seeing multi-day adventure racing, um, and it's all running. So I would like to see more of that just to make it really obscure. Um, you know, it's, when I say obscure, Eric, I think everybody wants to be somebody. And, and if you're an adventurer and you're trying to, you know, define what it is that you can do, you're always trying to do a little bit more. I mean, look at Barkley, the Barkley Marathon. That was mm-hmm. once obscure, but that's becoming mainstream. I yeah. know that they're trying to keep it the same way that it is, but there's been a movie about it. Anytime I go to a work meeting and somebody, um, <laughs> they'll say, hey, have you run Leadville? Or have you, have you seen this Barkley race? What about the, the Death Valley race and stuff yeah. like that? Only because it's mainstream. Yeah. So, I mean, I, don't, I, I think I'm, I'm just trying to stall for time to try to think of what I would want to see different um I, I love the popularity i love that races are popping up because it gives more opportunities for people like us to congregate and be around like-minded people mm-hmm. um I, I just don't know that i have an answer of, of what i would like to see changed well then what what do you uh what is something that you because we talk about this a lot on the show me and joel and some of our guests but what do you wish that new trail slash ultra runners knew about the sport that have come before them. So like, even when you were back in your JFK and you guys were talking history and books, I mean, people coming into the sport, I think there's still a lot to be, they don't understand the history or, or who paved the way or the struggles that people went through first. What are, what are some that you remember that you think are important with, with what has come before people today? Um, I think what's important, I think the singular, single most important thing is for people to do it for themselves. Uh, I, I think too many people get into it because they feel like it's 
it's going to make them popular or what people are going to think of them because they can say, hey, I did an ultra marathon last weekend. Um, so I, I think it's important because I, I think back in the day, I mean, you, you go back to the Ted Corbett days and way back when, they none of those guys did it for, for notoriety. You know, I, I think Jamil, he's most recently talked about pedestrianism. Um, and, and some people did get paid. Um, you know, there's a book out there called Flanagan's Run, and people ran across the United States because they got paid for it and they were spectacles and whatnot. But I, I, what I, I think I want the newer generation to know is to respect the sport. Um, you know, don't, don't get into it because you think you're going to gain notoriety and, and a lot of money and um, people are going to idolize you. Do it for yourself and do it because you want, you know, you, you, you want to know what you're capable of doing. Um, you know, I, it's, it, I, I don't think anybody should ever say um, you should respect your elders. You know, we've heard that since we were kids. Um, or respect those who came before you, but have an appreciation and understanding of, of how this sport evolved, where it is and where it's going. That's all. Nice. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's, uh, it's, it's good to know. And I think you have sometimes, sometimes I think people have a deeper appreciation for it when they see, see that or, or, you know, cause today you hear about the same names and the, the elites and the top athletes that are doing what they're doing. But I think so much happened way back when, even though course records fall weekly now. Um, but there's a lot of things that happened before, you know, 2017, um, that go into what we do. Yeah. Um, all right. So next up you have, um, well, this will launch probably when you're doing it. If I remember right, you're doing across the years coming up. Is that right? I'm doing across the years. Yep. And I, I've always wanted to do this race too. <laughs> See, that's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> so what you're doing, the, which one, the 24, 36, 48, what are you doing? I'm doing the 48 hour. Okay. So tell me about that. Have you ever done a timed race on a looped course like this before? No, no. It scares <laughs> the hell out of me. Okay. So I'm already nervous. All right. So my next I question remember, is I, why, <laughs> why are you doing it? <laughs> Because I want to know what's possible. Because it, this goes, I mean, in all honesty, I want to know what I'm genetically capable of. I mean, um, I, I know the records that are out there, and I'm, I'm not thinking records. I'm just trying to think, what could I do? I mean, I know how loopy I'm going to get. You and I went on, we did the Highline Trail in the Uintas, and it took us 47 hours to go 78 miles. And you, we were both loopy. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I, I, re, <laughs> I remember sitting in the car in the parking lot, and it was like, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't even fall asleep, but I was, I was having these visions that I was a churro maker on the streets of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I would have eaten the hell out of those churros after that run, I too, know, man. <laughs> I know, I know. And so, I, so... Why, why would I subject myself to going uh, in a one-mile loop for 48 hours straight? Yeah, that's what I want to know. <laughs> I, so, because I, I want to know what my breaking point is. How do you know what your limits if you never go past them? No, I agree. I, I, I read that. 
I've read that quote somewhere before, and I just want to know what my limits are. I think the like like somebody down there has run like 240 miles, I think, in 48 hours. What does that feel like? <sighs> I, I know it's going to hurt mentally and physically, but you know what? I don't want to be on my deathbed and say, well, I, I could have done that. I, I should have done that. Well, I got fit, and I... I'm gonna do it and see what happens. Well, I think now, that if I, if I walk if I walk away and I only get say thirty miles because I just don't feel like being out there anymore, then it is what it is. I don't have any bad feelings about it. Um, I just will enjoy the experience while it's there. And if, if by chance I end up lasting for forty eight hours and I get over two hundred miles, then then I'm happy about that too. Okay, so let me ask you this: How have you? trained differently for this, whether it's physical, mental, nutritional, whatever. Have you done anything different to try and prepare yourself for this? Yeah. Well, so Ian um, Torrance is coaching me right now. And I remember we were in Maryland and he goes, I said, so what does my training look like for the next month? And he looks at me and goes, I don't have a clue. <laughs> and I said, thanks, coach. Uh, thanks for the confidence. And he goes, I, he, I said, well, you know, you've run the Colorado Trail. How did you train for that? And, you know, um, so he is just, he's put me on, on a training schedule of being on my feet about 15 hours a week. So I've done a lot of back-to-back long runs. So my weekends for the last month have gone three hours, six hours, two hours consecutively. Um, Something like that where I'm just going slower. I'm spending a lot of time on my feet. Um, And nutritionally speaking, I've been trying to eat more nutritionally dense food as opposed to carbohydrate-dense foods and nothing processed for that matter. Okay, so give me an example of that. Um. So I've been eating a lot of cauliflower, a lot of broccoli. Um, oh, I eat a lot of meat. <laughs> um, I, I just ate a whole bucket of cheese curds. I know you like that. You're my man. Um, I'm training for my across the years next. You just hooked me. <laughs> yep. There you go. Cheese curds and almonds. Those are, that's my new favorite. Um, I Just that kind of stuff. Just stuff that it's not really um, like no fried foods, no bad foods. I've been really good. The older I get, the realize, I realize the more, the better I have to eat nutritionally. So I've been really good with my diet. Um, and I think I've been better off in my runs because I'm not bonking anymore. I'm going slower. Um, that's really what it's looked like. I, there's nothing you can do to train for a 48-hour race other than what I've been doing. I mean, I can go out and walk for 6 to 12 hours if I really wanted to. Um, you need to find so, a mall and just do loops inside the mall. Just walk around with everybody. I think that's going to be more tra- more beneficial than getting on the mountain trail. <laughs> I do. I do like the people watch, so that wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, there you go. That's going to be part of your your thing for across the years. As you're doing it, you can people watch and get your mind over that way, right? It's like you won't even know you're running. Yeah, and so I, I, Eric, I think that these timed events are the next thing for me. Let's see how this first one goes. Um, and then I, I honestly have been looking on my calendar to see what else is going to come up in the beginning of the year. Just because I, I know I'm fit um, right now, probably better than I have been in the last five or six years. Wow, that's saying something. 
Yeah, I feel I feel really good just nutritionally and my whole body. Um, so I think that that's probably this is probably the next stuff for me. This longer stuff. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a really good transition to uh, some some breaking news here. So we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about you doing longer stuff now. People, if you don't know, uh, Scott Jaime uh, for a while held the FKT for the Colorado Trail, right? What was what was yeah. your time on the Colorado Trail when you held the FKT? Eight days, seven hours, 40, 40 minutes, and seventeen seconds. And that was that. how how many miles was that? Um, four hundred ninety, four hundred eighty-seven to be exact. Okay, so four hundred eighty-seven miles. So um, you say you like to go longer. Um, that's what you're working on. So you dropped me a little nugget that I couldn't pass on uh, for 20, because you're going to be 50 years old. Like that's next from after 49. So you'll be 50, yeah. half a century old. Um, yeah. And to celebrate that, you're like, you don't want to do the Colorado Trail 487 miles. You want to do the Colorado Trail yo-yo, which means Denver to Durango, Durango back to Denver, back to back, right? Yep, that's <laughs> correct. I knew we could get that it is, out of you. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'll say anything to get on your show. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. It's been three years, man. <laughs> um, this is this is the the strangest thing, Eric. Um, so I, I did the Colorado Trail um, the first time. Um, to celebrate my 40th birthday, I did, I did it in 11 days and, um, I don't know, 11 days, 12 hours, something like that, just to finish on my 40th birthday. Hardest thing I'd ever done. I swore I'd never do it again. And I, four years later, um, this is the, this is like the human nature. This is like people just trying to define their genetic potential. Four years later, I did it again because I felt like I could get the FKT. The FKT was eight days, 12 hours, and 14 minutes, and I got eight days, seven hours, and 40 minutes. And when I got done, I, I said never again. I mean, I had adrenal fatigue. Um, my body broke down. I, I, I mean, I was, I was in bad shape. Um, but, you know, this, this last year, Brian Williams broke the record. Um, he got uh, eight days flat. Wow. which is absolutely phenomenal. And he actually, he went the, the hard way, which is um, the new route, which is on the, the West Collegiate as opposed to the East Collegiate. So eight days flat. Um, and I actually got out there um, a day with him at Kenosha Pass and ran with him for about 14 miles. And at, at that point, he and I started talking about a yo-yo because it's never been done. So there's never been a yo-yo done on the Colorado Trail. So what better way than to go back and do it again? And like I said, I never want to look back and say should have, could have, would have. I want to say that I at least tried it. So here's the plan. I don't know my dates yet, maybe July, but the plan is to set. You ready for this? I'm, I got a pen in hand and my eyes are as big as you can imagine. I got slobber coming I down my I, face. I, I, I am... Uh, I'm going to put it out there. Um, I am unafraid. Uh, I, I intend to set three FKTs uh, in this journey. Number one, I'm going to go out 
and try to set the FKT unsupported. So I'm going to go from Denver to Durango with everything on my back. That means no outside support. Everything that I have, I will have with me from the beginning until Durango. And then I'm going to try to come back from Durango to Denver supported and set that new FKT. And then the third FKT would be, if I finish that, then it will be the FKT because it'll be the first yo-yo ever done on the Colorado Trail. Okay, so what, what's the unsupported FKT time right now? It is, I, I want to say, nine days, ten hours, um, something like that. I don't have the exact digits on it, but I know that it's in the nine-and-a-half-day range. And the, and the so supported is eight days, right? The supported is eight days. So when I when I set out to do the FKT the last time, I thought my goal and my best time based on my miles would have been seven days, 19 hours. So that's my best effort of what I thought was possible. Um, and so I still think that that's possible. So I still think that um, I still think that the Colorado Trail uns- Colorado Trail supported FKT could be under eight days. So with with just my my crude math, you're looking to go about 980 plus miles in under 17 days. That's if I turn around in in Durango and come right back. If I don't take any zero days and come straight back. Oh, gotcha. That's right. So are you thinking maybe to do it that way then to... Because that would go I, I with the know. yo-yo, right? I mean, that would be included on the yo-yo FKT if you took days between. Yeah, if, yeah. Any zero day is included in that, so it's just the time I stop my watch from sitting here in my office to the time I get back to my office here. Um, so I, I know I <laughs> I just put it out there, um, but I've <laughs> been sure thinking did. about this a lot. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, and, and I at least want to attempt it, but I mean, that, that goes without saying all of this longer stuff. So this 48 hours, if I look at it in terms of, you know, the Colorado trail, 48 hours is really nothing and it shouldn't be anything. So I've got to, my mind has to be thinking a lot bigger than just 48 hours and 200 plus miles. That's incredible. Just, I mean, I mean, you told me over a beer and I, I couldn't comprehend it. So I'm glad we got to spit that out a little bit more. Um, and you don't have a date you think in maybe July. I mean, what's the, is there a window that you want to try and hit though, due to like either weather or anything else going on? Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, this last year there wasn't any snow at all. And so it would have been ideal to do it. Um, but it seemed like the best, conditions were later July, early August. That's when you get your longest days as well with sunlight. So I'm, I'm kind of shooting for that. Um, the last time I did the trail, I did it, um, the third week in August. Um, so I'm really shooting for the end of July, third week in July, first through the first week in August, somewhere around there. Wow. That's, I mean, we're definitely going to have, I mean, you're not waiting three more years. We're going to have you on again before this, because we got to talk specifics once you get it dialed in and set up for sure. Um, the Colorado yeah, Trail well, let's, Yo-Yo. Let's talk, let's talk after this um, across the years thing, because, <laughs> you know, I'm, 
<laughs> it, it may not go up the way I think it should, and um, I don't know. Things might change. But I'm 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 going to give it a, a, a shot. Okay. Well, with all that, what would what would the forty uh, nine year old Scott Jaime say to the thirty nine year old Scott Jaime, as far as a runner goes? Slow down and look at the look at the scenery. Yeah. Take it all in. Yep. Too many times. I, I mean, I I ran I ran Hard Rock um, eleven times, one DNF, ten finishes, and I and I can honestly say the only time that I stopped and looked around, took pictures, shook hands, was on my last one. And that course, and I would dare say many other landscapes around the world are too beautiful to pass up. We, I, I do stuff because of the sheer beauty. I do it because of the isolation. I do it because um, that's my church. And, and too many times I got caught up in the competition. Yeah, I like to compete, but at the same time, I think that there's a, there's a balance in there uh, of racing and not getting tunnel vision and, and stopping and smelling the flowers and looking around and taking pictures. Don't ever, you, you never know when you're going to be at the top of um, some pass looking over the other side during a race at the crack of dawn. So 30-year-old Scott Jaime, just slow down, smell the flowers, and appreciate where you're at. So you should, you should have been running with me more often then because that's, that's all I know how to do. <laughs> 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 I was I was the joke for early on. I was the guy that would hit the aid station and I would be eating the white off the watermelon because all the reds all the red stuff was gone. <laughs> so let me let me uh, let me cha- let me flip the ch- subject just a little bit. Our listeners are pretty diverse. So you uh, we had another conversation, and since I've jumped back into it, you uh, have been coaching soccer as well, right? I am coaching soccer. Yes. And that was, would you dare to say that was one of your earliest passions in life was soccer as much as time, I mean, running, you ran marathons early on, but a soccer, something you've always oh, loved. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Soccer is my, uh, soccer is my first love for sure. And how is that, uh, now that you're back into it, do you find your mental state different now that you're doing, that you're coaching a part of that again? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I, I expect a lot from my kids, um, but I, but I, um, I feel like I'm more patient with them. Um, so I coach uh, nine and 10 year olds. And so it's, it's pivotal as far as my job as a coach to teach them the basics, the right way to learn soccer and appreciate it. You know, what's funny is that I want them to be passionate about soccer first more so than any other sport. I want them to love soccer like I love soccer. And you know what? If uh, The way that I approach it is the same way that I approach running. I, I do it with everything that I have, and it's, and it's become a, a labor of love for me. Because, I mean, as you know, being a coach, a youth coach, is not easy. No. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of patience because at nine-year-olds, they have like collectively you have 20 seconds to talk to them and they're all paying attention. <laughs> yeah. 
And and you know I I love I just I when they get something there is nothing more powerful than to watch them do it on the soccer field. It's like it I would imagine it's like conducting an orchestra or a symphony, and and just watching them play. And it's and it's so it, it's like this service part of me that I feel like giving back. And just like being at Kroger's Canteen last year, I was. I got emotional up there helping other people. I get emotional when my when my team does really well. I I want them to be passionate like I am about things. I think that's awesome because I, I I'm coaching a 12 year old, basically a 12 year old boys team, and it's changed a lot since I got out of coaching. Um, but I'm the same way. I think the kids that are passionate and do love it probably learn at a better rate than the kids that maybe don't as much, I should say. Yeah. And, and these days, I mean, there's so many other sports that, you know, they get pulled in every direction, but yet when we were kids, soccer was a, it was a part-time sport. You played it like two times a year. two mm-hmm. seasons. Yep. And when it stopped, you played basketball, you wrestled, you played football. It's not like that anymore these days. I mean, it's, and it's, I, I don't think it's any fault of, of, like for instance, me as a coach, but I think these organizations, these clubs are demanding so much more of these kids that they want them to play soccer year round. You know, they want them to be committed year round and it's hard as a coach. I, I still find value in, in, um, having them play other sports. And, and my job as a coach is to sell them on being passionate about soccer because that's what I want. Did you know Cal Ripken Jr. was a soccer player? I did. And he he attributes a lot of his movement and his skills to soccer. And I tell my kids these days, I talk about Michael Jordan, I talk about Maradona, I talk about Cal Ripken Jr., um, and tell them that, you know, this is developing little people. It's developing responsibilities, but it's also developing structure in their lives. And, And they can learn a lot more from soccer than the soccer game itself. Well, and I think another one, like talking to my kids, Kobe Bryant's first love and passion was soccer, and they attribute a lot oh, of it. Yeah, and they attribute a lot because he was military, and I think it was in France is where he picked it up, and they attributes a lot of his basketball skill to his footwork from soccer. Yeah, he could pick up a wow. ball. He can pick up a ball today and out juggle probably ninety percent of the kids out there. Wow, I didn't know that. Little tidbit, little Cliff Clavin knowledge from Cheers, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm dating myself again. <laughs> so, I know, but soccer, soccer is a universal sport, and I think that there's something for everybody in it, right? Yeah, for sure. What um, do you enjoy about it? I think, to me, again, it's just I've always been passionate about it. It's always been my first love, and I think it taught me how to work together with people. Um, I guess on some some level, without paying attention to it, it helped me you know, learn how to be a leader, you know, cause I was always the kid that wanted to do better, wanted to learn. So I was always trying to rope the other kids to pay attention and listen. And, you know, cause I wanted to do better. And when, you know, everybody did better, we all did better. So there's just so many things about the game that made my life better. Uh, same thing, kind of the people, the, you know, a little bit of structure, hard work. I think it taught me that if I worked hard, I'm the same way. I've never been the most talented athlete, but you know, I learned that working hard, kind of paid off in other areas for sure. And, yeah, and, and, well and, 
and chicks dig it. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) What chicks dig soccer coaches? Oh, I doubt it. (laughs) I can't, can't, I'm not speaking from experience on that one, but I'm going to say no. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to have some fun with you now. Ready? So this is all stuff. You don't know what's coming your way. We got two phases. So we've done lightning rounds. We haven't done them for some time, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to say somebody's name and you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind about these people. Are you ready? This isn't going to be easy. Are you ready? Okay. Make this editable because I don't know. (laughs) Oh, we're not editing. This is not how we do things here. This is like Ellen. Ellen, we're live. All right. I'll give you an easy one. Right? Uh, Rock Horton. Uh, legend. Uh, Ian Torrance. Legend. <laughs> you're, you're crushing this, by the way. <laughs> I thank you. Thank you. I'm very creative. <laughs> Chrissy Mel. Um, pioneer. Oh, I like it. Uh, Scott Jurek. Um... Why are you giving me all of these legends? <laughs> Is that what we're going with? I, um, um, pace setter. Okay. Um, David Horton. Um, well, Dave Horton is, is, well, let me, mentor. Good. Um, Kyle Skaggs. Humble. I'm ready. Here we go. We'll do uh, one more. Killian the Hornet Journey. Kind. Oh, I like that. Okay, so that th- those were some, you know, just to get you warmed up. And now these are some some lightning round questions. Again, these are just what pops in your head, and it has, you know. Wait, was be... that was that lightning round? Because I don't think I passed. <laughs> yeah, that that's why I made it. You know, this was that warmed you up a little bit. So these will be okay. easy. These will be easier, and some of them is just to pick and choose things. So uh, what's the what's the trail running shoe you are wearing now? Um, I am wearing Solomon. Are you? Which, do you know which ones? Uh, I don't. Okay. That's fine. How about your top three beers that you like right now? Um, station 26, juicy banger. Um, Pliny the elder. Um, and I still got to go with Ninkasi Total Domination. Oh, oldie but goodie. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a race you want to run but haven't? <clears throat> yes. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was just your answer. answer. Okay, I thought that was just your answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that sucked. <laughs> I, I could have left it like that. Um, <laughs> Tour de Jean. Nice. Um, most intriguing trail runner. No trail runners. Um, Carl Meltzer. Why? 
because he's he's a mystery. He's like he's he's ageless. Let me give you an example. So last year I did Zane Gray, or or two years ago now. He had just had knee surgery or tore his meniscus in November, and he ends up winning the race in April, like in a really good time. He's he's like this mystical creature. He's like the unicorn of trail running. Yeah, he's so he's the most intriguing man I know, trail runner I know. All right, last thing you binge watched? The Office. Best bean and cheese burrito you've ever tasted? Nine beans and a burrito. Still, oh, that makes me happy. Yeah, that was a softball. Uh, soccer question: Do you believe in taking short corner kicks? Yes. Oh, favorite season? Fall. Mount Rushmore of trail runners. Mount Rushmore of trail runners? Yeah. Who's your top four you'd put on the mountain? Oh. Um... Killian. Okay. And I can I say that because I've I know him and he's a humble guy and he's just a phenomenal uh, athlete in person. <clears throat> um, I'll still say Kyle Skaggs. I'm glad you brought him up <laughs> earlier. Uh, uh, even though he's he's not running, but yeah, still Killian Jornet, Kyle Skaggs, Chrissy Mel. Um, Brandon Sabrowski. Oh, nice. So what, what's, uh, for our listeners, why Kyle Skaggs? Um, I mean, I mean, Kyle Skaggs was the first one to break 24 hours at Hard Rock. Um, and he, he's a soft-spoken person. He, I don't think he could have cared less about um, breaking any records or winning any race. He's the type of guy that just loved being in the mountains. He was a very uh, natural person. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. Uh, much like Killian, he's just humble. He, he just he loves being a part of the mountains. Um, I, I know I know him. I, I spent time with him. Um, you know, it, it, the year he won Hard Rock in twenty three twenty three, I was second place six hours after him. <laughs> Um, that's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so, so maybe that's a that's a like a, a nugget of information. Who's the guy who plays six hours after Kyle Skaggs? <laughs> Took I'm second. that guy. <laughs> I could be I could be on Jeopardy <laughs> and run Jeopardy. Um, yeah, that's the reason for Kyle Skaggs. I mean, just a just a really neat person. Um, favorite boy band. Boy, uh, <laughs> favorite. Um, new kids on the block. <laughs> That's a good one. Do you want to know? Do you want to know why? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jordan Knight was the lead singer, <laughs> and when they were popular in the early '90s, I was in um, um, I was in Vermont going to uh, school, and they played in a concert in Lake Placid, New York, and. The girls in college thought I looked 
just like him. So I, I would go around pretending like I was Jordan Knight. <laughs> I mean, you should have seen my hair. My hair was all fluffed out with a loaf on the side of my head. <laughs> well, see, so you've been mistaken for him that I know of. You've been mistaken for Dean Carnassus, and you've been mistaken yeah. for Barack Obama. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's another one. Barack Obama, of all people. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) All right. A couple more. Uh, Favorite city to visit and why? In the world? Yep. Um, Chamonix. No. I'm going to retract that because that's – I've only been there once. Um, but Silverton is my all-time favorite city. And the reason being is because I deem the San Juan Mountains the, the most beautiful place in the world. Um, obviously, I've spent the most time there, but there is, there's nothing like the San Juans in the southwest corner of Colorado. So Silverton is still one of those small towns that maintains that small-town feel yeah. where everybody knows everybody. <clears throat> All right, board shorts or Speedo? Well, if you were in Chamonix, it would be Speedo, but if you were in um, Silverton, it'd be board shorts. So I'll go with board shorts. It just depends on where you're at, right? That's right. Um, if you could change the Hard Rock Lottery, what would you do differently? If I could change the Hard Rock Lottery, <clears throat> I would let more people run the race. I know that it's only 140 and. They claim that's what the permit holds. I don't. I don't know any of this. I'm just speaking um, off the cuff. I would. I would open it up to more people. I mean, the popularity has just skyrocketed through the roof. Let everybody experience it. <clears throat> number one, and number two, um, you know, it's it's a race, and you know, some people, some of the board members don't feel like it's a race. Some people feel like it's a journey through the mountains, so they don't care about. Um, the top runners getting in, but yet, you know, there's still picks. There's Dale's picks that aren't um, revealed. I would love for those to be public. Um, pick five women, pick five men, let them be Dale's pick, and let the public know what they are. And, you know, we know, we have a feeling that those people are usually top runners, um, people who bring notoriety to, to the race. I don't know. I don't know any of this. But like I said, I'm speaking up the cuff. You asked me what I would like to change, and I would love to know who, you know, getting those 10 people in to increase the competition in the race. Okay. Two more questions. Um, do you have any 2019 resolutions slash goals? Um, I, so that's a, that's a good question because every year I make a food resolution. Yep. Um, I, I think I've gone through all the food. I've done no meat, no fried foods, no pop. I've done all that. No coffee. That sucked. Yeah. That's, Um, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That was, uh, that was too hard. So I, one thing that I, I was thinking about doing is, um, um, trying to not utilize plastic all year, like Ziploc bags and things like that. Wow. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible, but I'm, 
I'm, I'm investigating. So that may be um, a resolution. Um, a goal for me would to be to set um, those FKTs on the Colorado Trail. Nice. And then I know this is one from, uh, I thought originally it'd be for our, our lady listeners, but I think there's some uh, guys that want to know, when was the last time you had a tickle fight? A tickle fight? Yeah. <laughs> um dude <laughs> that's not um, an answer is, i know i know but this but that's just um it's been a few years <laughs> miles and, and the last time i had a tickle fight was with miles and jackson probably three years ago there you go so there's one in order there's we were yeah, we were we were on the living room floor and were wrestling, and it became a pickle fight. Who won? Jackson, because he he knows jujitsu, and he got me in a rear naked naked choke. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have a question for you. Do you have any desire to coach? And now I don't mean soccer; I mean running. Like you know, Ian's your coach now. You've had some great coaches in the past. Um, besides Ian, you've had other coaches. Have you had any interest in doing that for anybody? Yeah, I have. Um, I have tooled around with it. Um, I, I have coached people. Um, I haven't charged anybody anything. I just have kind of given people, um, probably shouldn't say that on the podcast, Scott. Well, I, but the reason why I did it is because I wanted to know if what I was giving other people was effective. So I, I trained a lady for the Boston Marathon about three years ago. You know, she got her PR by 40 minutes. Wow. Um, but I followed a plan that that's, I follow that I thought was really important. Um, so to answer your question, uh, yes, I've, I've thought about coaching. I just don't know how I would fit it. It's not a priority right right now for me. Yeah. But I, I think I could offer a lot of um, advice to people get just getting into ultra running, or even if they just wanted to do their first 5K. Yeah. I think I think there's a lot of I, – I say that kind of sheepishly because there's a lot of coaches out there. I know that. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think there are some good ones, and I've – and I and I think that there are some that are just getting into it because they ran an ultra marathon and they think that they know what other people should do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a right or wrong. It's just I just haven't taken that next step. I I have had um, Tim Wagner Lucho. He's coached me twice. Yeah. I've had uh, Paul Dewitt, uh, former Pearl Pearl team member. He's coached me, and then now Ian. You know all. All great coaches, um, and I think I've—I think Paul served it up best. I don't want to coach you for the rest of your life. I just want to give you structure so that you know what you're capable of. Um, and I think that's what every coach should provide to anybody: is the structure and the motivation on a daily basis. I think that's great, and I think it's like you said. There are a lot of coaches out there. Uh, we talk about it on the show because we've had some on. Um, you know, obviously Ty Draney's been on the show and a few others, but it comes down to that fit as well. Like who are you comfortable with? Um, and just knowing you, I can't imagine there not being a fit with somebody out there with you just for the person you are. But I think that's uh, that goes hand in hand with being a coach is being 
oh boy, real, I guess. Yeah, no, there has to be a connection there. And in fact, sometimes your coach should be the one that's hardest on you to tell you, no, you shouldn't do that. Or yes, you need to do that. This is pivotal. You need to have that open dialogue and transparency with the coach. It needs to go back and forth. I think many times, um, you know, people get a coach because they may be a big named coach coaching other top athletes. That doesn't make them a good coach. What makes them a good coach is your ability to connect with somebody, um, to get on their level, to know what their needs are and where they're currently at in their life. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Do you have any interest in writing a book? I do. Um, I, was fact, I was hoping you'd my say wife, that. <laughs> my wife uh, told me, she said, you know what, you should, you should write a book um, on Team Fast Eddie. And, you know, I think, I, I know Andy Jones Wilkins, I think he just finished up his book, or um, I don't think it's in publication yet, but, uh, and I know Brian Powell has written a book, um, and I love reading them. And, and I, the only reason I bring up those guys is because I know them, and I think they did a good job. I, I don't, I haven't read Andy's book yet, but I'm sure he's got some really tall tales in there. <laughs> um, but I, I digress. I, I would love to write a book. I love writing. Um, I'm actually in my uh, MB, executive MBA course right now, and there's a lot of writing that goes on in that. And I just I find myself writing probably too much. So I think probably there'll be a time when I'll sit down and put my thoughts together. Well, and the reason I ask that is in quite some time ago, we had Rock Horton on the podcast. And of course, you know, Rock, um, you said legend, and there's so many words that can go along with him. He's just such an amazing person. But we talked about it, about having, it's like, what happens when the people aren't around to tell these stories anymore? You know, the stories of races or hanging out at an aid station or, you know, bef the night before race with a guitar. So we're talking about doing like a, a, a trail running coffee table book. Um, so it'd be fun to have yourself and all these people come out with their books and then someone just take excerpts from that and make this just awesome coffee table book. Yeah. No, I think, I think that that's probably a good avenue for a lot of ultra runners because maybe somebody doesn't want to take the time to write an entire manuscript and they just want to take stories, short stories, and put them on that coffee table. You know, I know um, Dakota Jones, has talked about that. I remember we went on a run, um, we were training for Hard Rock, maybe 2015, and he. I remember him saying, "I want to write a coffee table book someday." And I mean, he would be the perfect person to do something like that. So, having said that, I think that what you just said is, um, I think it's needed. Um, you know, having these stories around because you know what, we are not going to be around forever. Yeah. So in 50 years, who's going to tell the stories and who's going to keep the legacy going? Well, and, and I mean, we've had the conversation. There's so many new runners out there that they don't know some names. I mean, even some of the names I was going through, like Kyle Skaggs, people may not know. People may not know um, Joe Kulak, right? Um, that we've had conversations, cool. right? Um, but those stories I still tell, and I, I was just this fly on the wall. So, and you can imagine all the runners out there and all the fun stories during a race, you know, Carl's and Chrissy's and Ann Tracen and, and everybody. So it would just be neat to so have the ultra running Bible. Uh oh, okay. Um, it's not a trick question at all because you asked me a question earlier about, you know, the new generation runners. 
when I was getting into this sport here in Colorado, um, that's where I met Brian Fisher. Um, and Joe Kulak was a guy who Brian and I used to googly-eyed over. <laughs> he was he was running for Nike at the time, I think. And um, I remember uh, he called Brian one time and said, hey, let's go on a trail run. And Brian called me and said, you'll never guess who just called me, Joe Kulak. <laughs> and and we, were, we were like, we were starry-eyed, like, like we're going on a training run with Joe Kulak. My question to you is, do you think the new guys and gals coming into the sport these days are like that when they get around people um, like Casey Lichtig um, or Chrissy Mel or any anybody like that or Carl Meltzer? Do you think the young guys coming in are like that, googly-eyed? I think I think yes and no. I think I think it's more of a personality thing. I, I mean, for here's an example. I I had Jared Campbell on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's doing Rufa running up for air. Well, there's a Rufa going on in Ogden, um, and Tara Warren and Sherilyn Trayer reached out and said, "Hey, we want to put one on in Ogden." Well, they never have met Jared, and so I was in the room when they officially met them, and I don't I don't say they were googly eyed, but they were you know, they were, I would say starstruck, right? Cause I mean, let's, let's all face it. Jared Campbell is another one of those names that he flies under the radar half the time. If, you know, if, if, and people look at him at Barkley, but he's done so much more. So I would say, yeah. Um, there's definitely people out there like that. I've, but I think it gets personality too, right? Um, we all know some people that wouldn't bat an eye if they saw somebody that laid it down before them. But that's, I think more of a personality thing, but I think, runners now are more in a spotlight like a Killian um, where before there wasn't as much access to the athletes through social media, through posts, through internet and blogs and everything else. So yeah, I, I would say, yeah. Okay. Well, and I, and I think that that's a good answer. Um, and, and that's what I would hope for is that these, you know, young runners coming in um, know who they're, talking to and you know at a certain point have a have a level of respect and i just i just think that that's cool no and again i mean i i've said it more times on this podcast but we me and joel talk about that a lot is just the people that kind of carved the way and the stories that they have i mean again i mean when i was sitting with rock court and doing a podcast i was the googly-eyed guy and i've met rock before but just hearing his stories and being in his presence you felt like you were the only and i was the only guy there but it was like he was talking directly to me. So um, even even guys like myself, I would still get googly-eyed over meeting certain people in, in trail running, um, even though I've been around it for a while. So, so yeah, that's it. I think I would say, yeah. I saw Nick Romando in the Stance Sock store yesterday, and I was googly-eyed, and he's the goalkeeper for RSL. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I looked up and saw Nick Romando, and I'm like, Huh, I'm googly eyed. I'm a you know, an adult, but cool. I'm older than you, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah, I uh man, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a long time coming getting you back on and um I'm excited, excited to hear more about the Colorado Trail Yo Yo, but um I'll slow down and say I'm really excited to hear how across the years goes for sure. Yeah, I'll keep you. Uh, I'll, I'll update you. You can follow online, but I'll certainly give you a call when I get back or text you and let you know how it went. 
Well, and I, and I know, uh, hopefully you won't say anything while I'm doing this, but I know a lot of the listeners out there, we get people that uh, are new to trail running that may not know, you know, certain individuals for sure. But I, I challenge anybody listening to our podcast to, to look up what you've done for the sport. Um, I'm not saying this just because literally you're my best friend, but you've done so much for the sport. And every time you talk about legend or he's a good person or doing it for the right reasons, to me, you're, you're explaining, describing yourself to a T. So um, I hope people that are listening after this show, they dive into a little bit more of what you've you've brought to the table, too. And you know what? I'll throw a plug out there. There's that movie you were in. Uh, what was the name of it? Running the Edge, the Colorado Trail by your FKT. That's a good inside look at who you are, too. <laughs> well, thanks, Eric. I, I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. All right. Well, uh, we will let you go. It is Christmas Eve after all. Um, this show is going to launch on the new year. So hope this is good, uh, good mojo for the Trail Manners podcast to kick off 2019. So wishing everybody a happy new year. And again, Scott, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit on the phone with me this long. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. It's my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners podcast. We'd like to thank Scott Jaime for joining us and kicking off 2019. We also want to wish him luck in his big goals for this year. We also want to encourage everybody to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trail Manners or swing by the website at trailmanners.com. There you can hit us up on the contact page. Let us know what you want to see, who you want to hear, or if you would like to be on the show. Until next time, this is Eric Manning with Joel Hatch reminding you, you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. Now go get it.